listening to a Davin and Players podcast. We're very proud to present Davin and Radio Players live from lockdown. There are four episodes in the series, all of which can be enjoyed individually in any order you like. Every word spoken has been written and performed by members of Davin and Players. For those who are regular to our theatre, you have no idea how good it is to have you back. And to those who are new to us, it's great to meet you. We did it. And now it's time to share it with you. We hope you all enjoy yourselves. Waiting. Written by Eileen Risk. Performed by Jackie Buckley. For a year, I'd been working in Oxford on a paranormal project. We were researching the experiences of a group of people who'd reported interaction with people they knew to have died. For the first three days of each week, my two colleagues and I had been interviewing subjects in their own homes. Taking our recordings back to the laboratory, we'd worked from six in the morning until ten or eleven at night, analysing the interviews. Each recording was listened to many times, notes made individually then shared with each other. We also visited numerous locations where the sightings had taken place. Repeat visits and successive interviews were made. The process was testing mentally, emotionally and spiritually. After six months of intensive work, we presented our results. Absolutely exhausted from the pressure, we were all sent on leave for a month and advised not to communicate with each other, to try and put the project out of our minds. That, of course, was easier said than done. I searched online for a secluded cottage, yet with reasonable access to supplies. The one I found sounded like a totally different challenge from the project. Accessed by a narrow lane, small, late 19th century cottage set in a secluded garden in Woodland, two miles from the village of Upper Gedney, with a general store, a church and a village pub where a vehicle may be parked. No modern facilities. The property is lit by oil lamps and candles. Calla gas for cooking. Water is hand-pumped into the kitchen sink. Bed linen and towels provided. Very small charge, showers are available at the pub, which also serves evening meals at the weekend. No mobile phone signal. No broadband. No close neighbours. A two-mile walk for supplies to ensure exercise. It sounded like the ideal hideaway. So I thought, having never lived without modern conveniences, without a car next door in the garage, a bus stop 25 metres away and every kind of shop in the high street. I arrived on Monday afternoon after a six-hour drive uneventful except that after leaving the motorway I realised petrol stations in the countryside are few and far between. Fortunately I was able to fill up about 20 miles before my expected arrival at the village. The first reminder to be put into my jotter book. The thatched pub with wisteria climbing up the front and over the porch looked welcoming with tubs of bright flowers either side of the door. I parked and went in to collect the cottage key as directed. 
A tall man who looked around 60 stood behind the bar. With a broad smile, he greeted me with the words, You must be the lass from down south, renting Woodland Cottage. I must have looked surprised because, with a chuckle, he continued, We don't get many strangers round here at this time of year, and I know all the cars belonging to my regulars. He confirmed that Betty, his sister who ran the village store, stocked everything I could possibly need. She would also change the linen regularly and keep a check on the Calagas tank. Her husband would replace it and keep me supplied with wood for the stove. Handing over the key, he asked whether I needed help with taking my luggage down the track. Assuring him I could manage enough of my things on the first night and would return in the morning, I heaved my rucksack on my shoulders and set off. Leading from the back of the car park, the entrance to the track was easy to see. Setting my wrist pedometer and checking the time on my watch, I followed the path across a small paddock and into a copse of fairly young trees. Obviously an old route, it twisted among the younger saplings, but behind these stretched the more dense growth of older trees, shutting out the late afternoon sun. After about 15 minutes, I noticed the shape of a small building just off to the right of the path. It looked quite old and no lights were showing. The landlord had not mentioned another cottage on my route, but I supposed it was long uninhabited and I carried on. After another ten minutes, the way ahead became lighter, and there, in a clearing, stood what must be my cottage. The windows were tiny, glinting in the last of the sunlight, and a small porch was built over the doorway. To my relief, the roof was of slates, which looked sturdy and in good repair, not thatch, so spared any possibility of rustling mice. I hate mice. The small surrounding garden looked well cared for, and I looked forward to sitting out on sunny days. I'd brought pastels and watercolours and hoped to revive my hobby of flower painting after many months of neglect. Living here, I should be able to shake off the visions of burial sites and the sadness revisited by all the people we'd met in the previous weeks. Dropping my rucksack outside the door, I inserted the key and stepped into my home for the next month. The ground floor was one large room with a log-burning stove set in the centre of one side wall. A settee across the middle divided the space which held an armchair, coffee table and a small desk with a chair under the window. A brass Victorian oil lamp stood on another table at the side of the fireplace. Behind the settee was the kitchen space with the Calagas stove, a sink with hand pump, and an old-fashioned wooden draining board with a cupboard underneath. Above was another small window, looking over the garden. A 50s-style kitchen cabinet in the corner held crockery and utensils and a good supply of candles. I'd need to get used to no refrigerator or electric lights. In the far corner of the room, a door opened onto narrow stairs, which led to one large room under the roof timbers. The window framed a lovely view over the garden to the woodland. A double bed, dressing table and an old-fashioned washstand filled the space with a few wooden hooks on the wall for clothes. Amused, I found a large china chamber pot tucked in the small bedside cupboard. 
I sighed with pleasure. My own quiet space. Tiny, but it would do. The walk to the village and back for supplies would be good exercise. I unpacked the few things I'd brought from the car and took a walk round the garden where, tucked away behind the house, I found the facilities. At least it was an Elson unit, not an old-fashioned thunderbox. Returning round the other side, I discovered a large tin bath hanging on the wall. A challenge for another day. Did I vaguely remember a mention in the advert of showers at the pub? Hmm, must check. Daylight was fading fast. Too tired to tackle the cooker, I drank bottled water, ate a sandwich and, using my large torch, climbed up to bed. To the sound of rustling leaves and the distant murmur of a stream, I dropped into the best sleep I'd had for months. Waking to the sound of birdsong, I slipped on some shoes, pumped water and put the kettle on the stove, then trekked round the corner to the little house. Sunlight slanting through the trees onto the emerging spring flowers was compensation for the chilly morning air. The stove being easier to use than I'd feared, I cooked eggs and fried bread and ate with the door wide open. No train to catch, no unusual sightings to follow up, no recordings to decipher. I needed to be busy and shut out the memories. So although it was tempting to just sit and relax and breathe the country air, the rest of my possessions needed collecting. Retracing my steps along the path, I came to the other cottage. Surprised, I noticed that the door was ajar that morning and I could see a figure standing very still, staring out of the window. I raised my hand in greeting, but there was no response. In the village store, I was welcomed with a smile and a cheerful greeting. I bought a few groceries, then, collecting the rest of my belongings from the car, set off back along the woodland track. On my return journey, the door to the first cottage was closed, and no one was in sight. Not reached by the sun slanting through the tall trees, the inside looked dark and gloomy, I was pleased to arrive back at my more cheerful-looking home from home. After exploring the sparse woodland in the front, where I found a narrow brook meandering through the trees, I returned to spend a quiet day drawing and painting in the front garden. Not a soul passed by, so obviously it was not a popular route for walkers. Leisurely days passed with the occasional excursion to the village. Usually when I passed the other cottage about mid-morning, the door would be ajar. Sometimes the woman would be watching from the window, sometimes standing in the doorway. Watching. Watching. Leaning on a stick and wearing a black hat pulled low over her forehead, she stared outwards with a steady gaze, apparently unblinking. I'd raise a hand in greeting or, when she was in the open doorway, offer a tentative, Good morning! There was never any response. The door was always closed when I returned. No one else ever seemed to come along that lane. My cottage linen was usually changed when I was out exploring the woods, looking for unusual wild plants and flowers to paint. Perhaps Betty 
from the shop stopped by to visit the old lady. I tried to tell myself she wasn't my concern. I was supposed to be unwinding and relaxing, but I couldn't set it aside. Who was she? What or who was she looking for? Was it me she was watching? Why did she never respond to my greetings? Was she unable to talk or determined not to? She could at least raise her hand, couldn't she? Appreciating my own solitude, I really should mind my own business and leave her in peace. After three weeks, I was finding it difficult to put her out of my mind. Her gaunt, staring face kept coming between me and my easel. I found myself sketching her instead of the flowers I'd prepared. I must ask about her in the shop. Make sure someone visited her. Finally, on my next walk to the village, I picked up one of my sketches of the cottage and the woman, determined to ask Betty about her. I was still in two minds. Not my business, but it was bothering me. Only here for one more week. I must find out before I leave. All going round in my head as I filled my basket with groceries. Approaching the counter, my brain saying, Ask, ask, I blurted out, Betty, who does that old cottage belong to? The one halfway along the lane to Woodland Cottage. Oh, that's the Browns' old place. Been empty for years. They never come to the village anymore. You're not wanting to buy it, are you? No, I answered, a bit bewildered. So, who's living in it now? Betty gave me a strange look and said, Now? Nobody's there now. Not since old Annie died back in 1976. She was a very sad case. Her fiancé was killed in the final month of the First World War. She lived there on her own for the rest of her life. After Bertie died, Annie waited at the door every day at the time the postman had delivered the telegram. Still waiting, I thought to myself. So that's why she never replies to my greeting. The Building Written by Pam Lowndes Performed by Paulette Anderson Pam Lowndes Pete Lowndes Bernie Bevington Eileen Risk Bob Almquist Jackie Buckley Denise Barry and Vanessa Duffy They say it's fun. They say they learn things. That they make many friends whilst also working hard. She walks down the narrow street. There are cars and houses, but not many people, just the occasional dog walker. Although the street is fairly long, apart from the rustling of trees and birds singing, it is strangely quiet, especially as there is a pub on the corner. The girl wanders thoughtfully. She passes the church hall and some offices before she hears the faint sound of music. As she gets closer, she is both nervous and excited. She is standing outside a brick-built building and there are no windows upstairs, which is very different to the nearby buildings. However, there are windows downstairs, but the curtains are closed. The sound of music and distant laughter is clearer and she wishes she could see inside. 
Next to the building, there is a small courtyard and she tentatively walks into it. She has heard about this place, but is unsure if it's for her. Something is pulling her though. Something inside her that says, go and see. The courtyard has a small garden area, but on the far wall she is shocked by what is in front of her. She has heard people speak of it, but to find herself standing in front of it, in all its glory, has her mesmerised for a few moments. It's a huge mosaic of scenes of the local village. So much detail, so many colours and shapes. She notices that the nearby door is open. She hears laughter, intermingled with voices, male and female, quiet and loud. Having moved to the area three months earlier, she wants to make friends, meet people, and perhaps to find a new hobby. However, just as she was about to step through the door, all the courage she had built up abruptly disappeared. This happened several times. Each time, she was determined this would be the time she would actually enter. Sometimes, the building was closed, whilst at other times it was open and people entered. Music, singing, people speaking in different tones, laughter and clapping. How she wished she could go inside, but she was too nervous. She was still intrigued, though. She had heard about the things people did there, and she wasn't sure she could do the same, but she wanted to see more. One Thursday evening, on what was becoming a weekly ritual, she entered the courtyard and noticed that there were even more mosaics higher up in the building, which she hadn't previously noticed. She was so busy looking up that she inadvertently tripped and fell over the doorstep. Although she was not hurt, the sound of her falling reverberated against the door and a gentleman appeared. She was invited inside and timidly walked in behind the man. Once inside, she found herself in a large corridor with many doors. It was the big door in front of her, which was slightly ajar, from which she could hear talking and laughter. The man encouraged her to come in, reassuring her that she would be made welcome as she cautiously entered the room. She had wanted to do this for so long, and she was finally doing it, but she wondered if it was such a good idea. She felt sick with nerves. Inside, there were men and women of various ages, standing and sitting in small groups, drinking tea and coffee and eating biscuits, whilst they chatted and laughed together. Shaking in her shoes, she was introduced to a few of them. A lady introduced herself and offered her a piece of the lemon drizzle cake she had made and a cup of tea. She started to relax, just a little. She was still very nervous, but the group were trying to make her feel welcome. She tried to concentrate on the chatter around her and to what was being said. At the same time, she was amazed at the size of the large black room. It didn't look that big from the front of the building. One half of the room had an open space, but the other half had rows and rows of seats. They weren't sitting in the rows of seats, but in a circle of chairs that had been placed in the open space. She sat within the circle and after a few minutes, a lady asked if the group were ready to start again. 
her nerves returning. She was ready to leave. Run. When the gentleman who'd invited her into the room told her that she was welcome to stay. She was introduced to the group and they to her before they resumed. They were reading aloud in turn from a book and she was asked if she wanted to join in, but she quickly declined. She was happy at being there. Well, she would have been if it wasn't for the fact that her insides were going round in circles. She was there, but she couldn't say a word in front of everyone. As they read from the book, they spoke in turn as indicated on the written page. They spoke in different voices, loudly, quietly, angrily, gently, and laughed and smiled, supporting each other as they did so. The stories she had heard were starting to ring true. They were friendly, and it was fun. While she sat there, watching and listening to the scene unfold as they read from the book, she started to relax. She even plucked up the courage to read two small sentences towards the end of the evening. This was a huge breakthrough. She'd actually spoken in front of other people, and it wasn't as nerve-wracking as she had initially thought it would be. She'd finally entered the building, and even more so, she'd enjoyed it. As she walked home, she felt happy. She smiled at the lady walking the dogs and knew she would be back and wouldn't be as nervous to enter the building the next time. She'd finally entered Davenham Theatre and had joined her first play reading with the Davenham Players. You have been listening to Davenham Radio Players, live from lockdown. Episode 4. Written and recorded by members of Davenham Players. The four-episode series is a collaboration with, and inspired by, Davenham Theatre's Writers' Group, who meet with Flick on the second or third Thursday of each month. This project was produced by me, Tom Barry. I would like to thank Dee for her production support, Maggie for her marketing expertise, Flick for her practical and technical guidance, David for the music interludes, and to the cast for their incredible wealth of creativity, bravery and patience, mainly with me and technology. And thank you to you for listening. For now, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from them. Take care.